that song explores God as our champion. It talks about the victory um, that we want to experience in him and through him and through his power. So I just want to start with this question. Where is it that you are looking for victory this morning? What challenges are you currently facing? I want you to, to bring those to mind. Maybe they're relational challenges. Maybe, maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in your place of work. Maybe it's in your family. Um, maybe someone's betrayed you. Maybe there's um, you know, a significant relationship where there's just a disconnect and you don't feel like you know each other anymore. Or, or maybe there was a breakup and then someone has, has just slung all kinds of false accusations towards you or about you or about the relationship. Maybe there's some intense conflict in your place of work. Where are you facing challenges right now? Are they financial? Are you facing just this mountain, this overwhelming reality of months of lower wages or lack of work has caught up to you? Where are you facing challenges? Is it physical? Are you struggling with a recent diagnosis? Or are you going through test after test to find out what's wrong? Maybe someone you love is facing some sort of physical um, infirmity. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a long-term illness. Maybe it's short-term. Maybe your family has just spent the last six weeks wrestling with flu or COVID or something else. And, and you're just facing this, this uphill climb. Where are your challenges? Maybe for you, it's some other type of hardship. Maybe it's grief. Uh, maybe there's been a significant loss in your life of a person or an animal or a job. Maybe there's been some sort of tragedy. Where are those places that you're looking for victory? And the tendency is that sometimes we think of our challenges and sometimes we'll think that, well, ours are so small compared to others that we know. And I'd encourage you in this moment not to think of any challenge too small, but where are you facing something that just seems to you impossible or, or insurmountable? There's just this, this thing that you're struggling to know, how will I ever get beyond this? And I want you to hold that. Because I hope that what you'll discover this morning in one of the most familiar stories in Scripture is that there is something bigger, there's someone bigger than the challenge that you currently face. One of the most familiar stories in Scripture world over is the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that's known. It's in, in 1 Samuel 17, by the way. It's a story that's known even by people, um, at least parts of it, who would never confess to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus or someone who trusts in God. It's a story that has kind of found this unique way of uh, working its way into how we speak about events in our world, even when they're not events related to faith. Every year when March comes around and the NCAA men's basketball tournament is uh, going to be played and Selection Sunday happens and you have these small schools relatively who will face these much larger schools with greater reputations, inevitably you will hear someone speak about a David and Goliath matchup. And it may be someone who doesn't even really know who David truly is or what God did there in the battlefield that day. I, I've heard my father, who worked in corporate America, 
speak about how bosses would, would talk about the Goliath that need to be slayed in the company at that moment. What's that big challenge they were facing? What were those quarter numbers, those predictions they had to hit? Like we use the expression David and Goliath for so many things. It's a familiar story. And even those that may only know a little bit of it often know that there's a big giant and there's someone who's much smaller in stature who faced that giant with just a few stones and a sling. But in the midst of this familiar story lies the help and the hope that you and I need as we face each of our challenges in life, that there is one who is so much bigger than the most daunting of challenges we face. As we go through this morning, uh, several verses that I read will not be on the screen. Uh, Some towards the end will be. Uh, So I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to get it out for Samuel 17. If you don't have one and you've got a a, a smartphone in your hand, uh, open up your browser and go to BibleGateway.com and put in 1 Samuel 17 and hit go or search, and it'll bring up the, the Bible passage for you. You're welcome to grab a Bible from the shelf at the back of the room. But we're just going to journey through this account uh, or pieces of this account. 1 Samuel 17 begins this way. Here's the first three verses. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle, battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. Uh, have a picture here, courtesy of BibleWalk.com, of the Valley of Elah. I think it's important sometimes to see these pictures because when we hear places mentioned in Scripture, uh, they are real places with real people who breathe like you and I breathe, who participated in these things. And, and this is the Valley of Elah. And the, the, the writer gives us just these incredible details. He tells us exactly where the Philistines were and, and where the Israelites were. And what I find interesting is that when he describes the Philistine encampment, he says they're at Soko in Judah. The Philistines are battling the Israelites. Judah is supposed to be part of the Israelite territory, but here are the Philistines at Soko in Judah. So it's clear the Philistines are making this assault on Israel. And because Israel, they're the people of God, they're kind of making this assault on God. There's a theme that runs throughout 1 Samuel 17, and that's defiance. Defiance by the Philistines of God, of his purposes, of his intent, of his reign, The enemy is opposed to God and his rule. And and I would submit to you that most of the places we face the most significant challenges in life, there are places where we see the evidence of where the enemy, our enemy, Satan, the devil, is defiant of God's very best for your life and my life. The, The Philistines go to battle and they bring with them a champion, verse four, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. You may have a footnote. They do some math for you based upon those measurements and and ours today. I've never measured someone in cubits, but thankfully we have records where people have and 
It tells us that he was about nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, about 125 pounds. This huge, hulking beast of a man in thick armor. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So the writer, again, takes great care, not just telling us the circumstances or the setting of the battle, but describes in great detail this champion named Goliath. It's as though they intentionally want us to see and appreciate just how formidable Goliath was. How big, how daunting, just what a significant challenge that he was. And it tells us what Goliath did. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is verse eight. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. There's that defiance again. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Why does only one champion come out? Uh, if you look back at world history, particularly in the Middle East, uh, in the ancient Near East, you find that representative warfare was somewhat common when armies would be at a place where they did not want to suffer any more significant casualties from among all their ranks, they would often pick their greatest champion to battle the greatest champion of the opposing army. And whoever won that one-on-one -on -one duel, that one-on-one -on -one fight, that army was declared the victor. And that way, thousands of people didn't have to die in the process. And so the Philistines send out Goliath, this beast of a warrior. The, the armies are lined up in battle formation, and Goliath steps forward, and the writer tells us that he issued this defiance, that he defied the armies of Israel. David, will learn later, sees this as a direct taunt on God. Goliath is defiant. Philistia is defiant. And what's the result among the people of God? Verse 11, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This should strike us, it should strike any reader as odd if you know the story of God's working among his people. God who rescued his people from captivity in Egypt. God who overcame overwhelming odds to rescue them through Moses the deliverer. God who took them to the edge of the Red Sea and when they thought they couldn't pass, made a way through. God who, when the people were starving in the desert, sent manna and quail and water came forth from rocks and bitter water was turned sweet. Like, like in, the, in the heritage of these people is instance after instance where the people met formidable challenges and yet 
God overwhelmed and God came through, that he was bigger than whatever they faced. And yet these people, and it's very much a part of their story, when they see this Philistine and they hear his words, they're dismayed and they're terrified. Again, just a question for us today. I wonder how often people who know the living God, people who've experienced his faithfulness in the past, how often do we face the formidable challenge in our own life? And our first thought isn't to trust in God's power in the moment, but to tuck tail and run. The story changes to David and we get reintroduced to him. We learn that three of his brothers are on the battle line. We learn that for 40 days, Goliath continues to come out. This is verse 16. Every morning and evening, and he takes his stand. Twice the day, the Israelites have to hear, I defy the armies of Israel. Who will come out and fight? And on day 41, everything changes. Verse 17, we'll pick up there. Jesse said to his son David, who's been going back and forth from the front lines to his father to take care of the flock. It says, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. I just think that's kind of obscure and fun. Like here, take the Gouda, take the Havarti, take the Munster, give it to the commander. See how your brothers are and bring them back some assurance. Bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. So, so as David shows up, he sets down all the supplies, he sets down the ten cheeses, and he rushes to the battle line where his brothers are, where the rest of Israel is. Just at the moment, the Goliath is going to come out on that 41st day. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David gets a firsthand uh, account. He gets to see this with his own eyes. He shows up the battle lines. The, the giant comes out. Come, challenge me. No, you're a bunch of weaklings. And David watches as men and women who have a history of a God who is faithful and does incredible things in the face of overwhelming circumstances turn and run in fear. David is so overwhelmed by this scene that he wants to know what will happen to the man who actually takes Goliath up on this challenge. We see those words in verse 26. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David sees this threat for what it is. It's a threat against God and his rule and his reign. It's not just about the army of the day. It's about so much more. Who will challenge the man? 
Word travels fast that David has some interest, and so Saul summons him. We'll pick up in verse 32. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And listen to David's statement of incredible faith and trust in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The emphasis in verse 37 is on the Lord. There's one who David trusts in that is so much bigger and so much greater than the giant that lies in front of him. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear. The Lord will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul sees the courage and he says, hey, David, guess what? Take your chance. But before you do that, let's get you dressed up in my armor. So he takes him and he tries to put Saul's armor on David. Uh, you may know the story. It doesn't work. It's too big. It doesn't seem to fit. Uh, so David goes back to what he knows. Uh, David goes back to a sling and some stones. One of the things we have to be careful here to understand is that David is not picking up a childhood slingshot that he would shoot pop bottles off the fence with. Uh, there's evidence in other places in scripture that being a uh, stone thrower with a sling was, I mean, a, a powerful position in the military. It was a skilled position like an archer or a sword bearer. David is trained. David knows how to use a sling. Chances are he's caught other animals. He's killed other animals. He's, he's, he's fended off other wild things with the stone and sling before. But he get, grabs what's familiar and he comes out to face the giant. The giant taunts him. Goliath taunts him as he has the Israelites every day. And look at David's response in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As David faces this formidable challenge, look who his focus is on. It's not on the sling. It's not on the stones. It's not on his skill. The focus is clearly on God. Look in verses 45, 46, and 47, how often he speaks about the Lord to Goliath. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. We've talked about this before. The name speaks to the reputation. It speaks to the character of someone. D David says, I come before you with all the reputation and all the character and, and all who my God is. That's who his eyes are on. 
the God of the armies of Israel. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. At the end of verse 46, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, more references to the Lord. They'll know that it's not by sword or spirit the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. David is focused on God. Now let's go back to our first question. What are the challenges that you face right now? What are those challenges that for you in this moment seem impossible? Again, maybe it's a relational struggle. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's some sort of other hardship, suffering. Maybe there's grief. Maybe there's a tragedy. What is that challenge for you? What are those challenges for you? What is your response in the face of those challenges? Is your initial response in the face of that challenge to say, no, I, this is just too much. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go hide, throw, throw the blanket over my head, not deal with it. Is, is your first response to worry? I'll tell you, sometimes when I face significant challenges, I'm ashamed because my first response is not to go to the Lord in prayer and to talk about it and to, to, to lay it at his feet but I get all worked up over what might go wrong, what, what could go wrong. I, I am a perfect Gen Xer. I am skeptical in so many ways. And if you're a Gen Xer, if you're 40 to 55 years old, you're probably pretty skeptical too. It's just kind of a character trait of our generation. And we can blame it on all the boomers if we want, but we won't do that. Because it's not true. Um, what is true is that I'm pretty skeptical sometimes. And so when I face huge circumstances and significant challenges, sometimes my first response is to say, oh no, what now? How will? Versus looking to a God who is so much bigger than the challenge that I face. So think about the challenges that you face. Think about the struggle and let's see what we can learn from David to move in light of our struggle, in the face of our struggle. Here are just three lessons that I think we can grab from, from this passage in light of our challenges. The first is this, is that trusting in God means that we have to look beyond the giant. It doesn't mean we have to ignore the giant. It doesn't mean we have to ignore the problem and the challenge. But it means we have to find a way to intentionally look past the problem. So often we only see the problem. David sees the problem. There's a giant. He's nine feet tall. He's got 125-pound armor. He's got a 15-pound point on his javelin or on his spear. But he looks past the problem to see a God who is more than able. A God who is a greater champion than the champion Goliath. He intentionally looks beyond the burden and the obstacle, and it brings perspective. Isn't this what faith is? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we cannot see. Trusting in God intentionally means looking to something that we can't see in the moment to one we can't see necessarily in the moment, but we know that he is able. 
Trusting God's power means we have to intentionally look beyond the problem, to look beyond the giant. I like how one pastor and author speaks of faith. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says of faith that faith is a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. The circumstances may be impossible and the consequences frightening and unknown, but we obey God's word just the same and believe him to do what is right and what is best. Trusting in God's power in the midst of our significant challenges doesn't mean ignorance, but it means choosing to look beyond to the one who is able. So let me just ask this, when it comes to the challenge that you've been thinking about, have you chosen yet to look beyond the problem? Have you, in the face of the overwhelming circumstance or the struggle in the relationship, whatever it is you're facing, have you just taken it to the Lord in prayer and said, God, I don't know how, but, but you're gonna have to come through and you're gonna have to help as only you can. It's this, it's this place of dependence where we, we trust him. We, it's not that we put our feet in the sand and refuse to move. No, we move forward in faith, trusting. We move forward in the face of the challenge, trusting that the God who is able, who is far beyond the problem, will help us in the midst of the problem. Do you know that you have a living God? Look at David's emphasis. You can look at verse 26 when he's speaking about the Philistine who's defying. He says he's defying the armies of the living God. It's not, not a dead God. He's a God who's active, who's living, who works, who moves in ways that we cannot begin to imagine, who's not bound by our dimensions, who works above and beyond and before and, and, and beyond. Look at verse 36. He, he refers to him again as the living God. Do you know that you have a living God? Whatever challenges you're facing, that your God is ready to act and to move. I'm not saying he'll make all the trouble go away. I'm not saying he'll, he'll heal you completely, although he may. But God, God works. Will we trust in his power? Will we choose to intentionally look beyond the problem? You may say, well, how? How, how do I look beyond the problem? I think mean, the first step for any of us should be honestly praying to God about whatever it is we face. When you face that moment and you feel that anxiety creeping in, you feel that worry coming, you feel that trepidation and the terror building, go to him and say, God, help me through. Point your eyes to him. The giant may stand nine feet so many inches tall, but God is so much bigger than that giant. And raising our gaze to look to him will help change our perspective on what lies before us. Another lesson to learn here is that trusting in God's power, it grows over time. So often we'll look at people who we might uh, say are, are great men and women of faith and we'll wonder, well, why can't my faith be like theirs? We uh, subscribe to a magazine through Voice of the Martyrs and uh, it comes to our home and, and I'll read you the stories of these people who right now today, uh, 2022, are are risking their lives because of the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. They are living in places like North Korea, uh, some of the stands in um, between Eastern Europe and, and Asia, we would call it Central Asia. 
And they're facing difficulties all the time. And I read the stories about how they stand up. I read a story recently of a Chinese pastor who um, decided to take his church and break off of the state-run church because they were asking him to compromise the truths found in the gospel and begin following the word of God faithfully. And they were threatened. They, they destroyed his church. And they imprisoned him. And yet he continues to trust God. I'm like, how, how can you have a faith like that? Well, it, it grows over time. Just look at David. We see David, this, this, this man with great courage and faith in God, running into the battle to face Goliath. But did he start there? David gives us the clue. If you look at verses 32 through 37 that we read earlier, what does he reference in his confidence for challenging the Philistine? Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear, that's the same God who will rescue me from the Philistine. See, David learned something. David in those nights out in the wilderness with the flock watching over his father's sheep, I'm guessing at one point in time, David was scared when he heard the, the growl or the roar in the distance and he knew that the, the sheep were threatened. But as he trusts God in those moments and he steps out to defend his family's livelihood and, and God helps him and enables him, that builds his faith, that builds his trust for the next encounter. And so when the bear comes, he's able to, to lean in and to fight. And it's a faith that leads him in this moment to go into challenge the giant. You are my faith grows over time. You may be facing something insurmountable right now. In your eyes, there may be a significant challenge that you're standing up against. How will you overcome it? Well, practice trusting in God's faithfulness in the small things, and you'll find yourself leaning in in the even greater things. A couple weeks ago, um, Audrey brought her phone to me and said, hey, look at this. And she showed me a Facebook post uh, by friends of ours from a previous place of ministry. Uh, the Facebook post detailed how one of the young men in this family, uh, the same age as one of my sons, had just recently been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer in his abdomen. He hears a young man who, uh, vibrant athlete, incredible physical shape, one day is thinking about what happens in college in the coming months, and the next day is wondering if he'll live to see the end of his senior year. And I read the post, and what struck me most was the family and how they were speaking about how we don't know what will happen. We don't know if there will be healing for our son, if the chemotherapy will work. But what we do know is that God will lead us through this trial. And I don't have to wonder how they got to that place with their faith. Because when we served with them years ago, we saw that same faith. When this child's father battled cancer, went into remission. Battled cancer, went into remission. Battled cancer, went into remission. Battled cancer and lost his life a couple of years ago. And they continue to look beyond the giant when they face that. They continue to believe that God is able and God is good even when things don't go right in this world. And so what happens then when the child is diagnosed with cancer that faith continues to show itself. That faith grows over time. 
This is a, a concept we see in Scripture. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Paul speaks of this in a number of places here, just a couple. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand. He says that, that there's a way that your faith can grow. Uh, it's articulated again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to pray, always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all you have for one another is increasing. Just a side comment. Paul writes this about the church in Thessalonica, and I wonder what would happen if these words described our church, that we grew in faith more and more, and that our love for each other was always increasing. What a beautiful thing. But faith grows. Faith is like a muscle. As we exercise, as we choose to lean into something, we, we choose to lean into the uncertainty and we see that God helps us and meets us there. Even if it doesn't take the problem away, even if the, 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 the death still occurs, even if the, the hardship still endures, but turning to him again and again, he helps us make it through that grows that faith in us. So we trust in God's power. We trust in God's power by looking beyond the giant. We trust in God's power, understanding that faith and trust grow over time. Here's a third lesson I think we can glean from this story is that trusting in God's power will face ridicule. When you choose to trust and when you choose to intentionally look beyond the obstacle in front of you, again, not ignoring it, but looking beyond it to trust that God is able, you'll face ridicule. There are doubters all around. Uh, we know that in our age, like any other age. And often those doubters will be people closest to you. How is it that you keep holding out hope in God when this has happened? Do you see who ridicules David? If you look through the story, you'll find Eliab, his brother, uh, ridicules him. Uh, are you just here to watch the battle, David? What are you doing hanging out? Saul ridicules him like, uh, you're a little bit small, young man. Goliath obviously ridicules him. But David keeps his eyes not on the ridiculer, but on the one who is bigger. When you and I face challenges and we trust in God and we tell people we're trusting in his power, they may call you foolish, they may call you stupid, uh, but they'll probably ridicule you. Just anticipate it. Here's the reality. Life is full of challenges. If you don't have one to think of today, I'm guessing tomorrow might provide one. Will we be people who trust in the name of the Lord our God beyond and before and above any other challenge? That starts today by practicing even the little things, by anticipating the ridicule that might come, and we'll see God overwhelm, and we'll experience victory. One of the things I love about this story is that for 40 days, Goliath comes before the people day and night, but on day 41, everything changes. And I wonder, with what you face, is today day 41? Is today a day that you take it before the Lord and you choose to look beyond the problem? Is it today a day that you remember his faithfulness and he helps you take one more step forward? Is today your day 41? As we close, we're gonna be singing a song 
And I just want to remind you of some of these lyrics. We sang this a couple weeks ago. And I want you to envision as you sing today the challenges that you've faced and just all out surrendering and looking to God for your victory. Here's some of the lyrics. There's a name that levels mountains and carves out highways through the sea. I've seen its power unravel battles right in front of me. And there's a faith that stands defiant. It sends Goliath to his knees. And I've seen his praise unravel shackles right off my feet. Because that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break and there is healing. And that's the power that I claim. It's the same that rolled the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Would that be your anthem this morning when we sing? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are far bigger than any challenge we face even when those challenges seem incredibly daunting and weighty. Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to cling to you. Help us to look to your reputation, your character, and remember your faithfulness as we face challenges. Grow that faith in us. Help us um, not be dissuaded by those who would doubt or ridicule. God, help us. Help us as we face the difficulties in this world. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.